You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. I'm reading today from chapter 16 in the book of Mark. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. For television shows, there is so much pressure on the finale. The way that a finale is perceived can change the entire way that the whole series is viewed by people. People can have very spirited feelings about TV show finales. And some of the comments I'm about to make, by the way, have spoiler alerts, just so you know. Who can forget that famous Newhart finale? where Bob Newhart wakes up and you find out that the past eight seasons of the show Newhart were really just an indigestion-fueled dream of his character from the 1970s sitcom, The Bob Newhart Show. How about Seinfeld, where Jerry and George, Elaine and Kramer find themselves in court and the show ends with them serving prison time together. How about the last episode of Lost, where Jack lays down in the very same spot where we first met him as he closes his eyes on the island. The final season of Game of Thrones started last Sunday, and fans of that show are all wondering who will sit on the Iron Throne. It's John. But there's one TV show finale that has caused more debate online than any other, and that is the finale of The Sopranos. This was a show about mob culture. People were always getting whacked. In the final few minutes of the series finale, Tony Soprano and his wife and his son have just sat down at a diner. And there's some people at the diner who keep eyeing them, and they look kind of suspicious. 
The journey song, Don't Stop Believing, starts playing on the jukebox, and you can feel the tension building. There's a close-up of Tony's face as he looks up and then credits. The finale caused an uproar when it first aired. HBO received letters of complaint saying, hey, I think you accidentally cut off the ending. That's not how it's supposed to end. We need to know what happened. Well, after reading our passage from the Gospel of Mark for this morning, we might be tempted to write letters of complaint to Mark and say, Hey, I, I think you may have accidentally cut off the ending. This can't be how it ends. We need to know what happened. Did you hear the last verse of what Marilyn read? The women were terrified and they went away and told no one the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What an odd ending. This is definitely not the Easter story that we're used to hearing. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, we never actually encounter the risen Christ. Why would Mark end his story this way? Well, here at First Baptist Church, we have been on a journey through the Gospel of Mark since January. We've seen that Mark has a unique approach to teaching us about Jesus. We've seen that Jesus is a teacher and a healer. We've seen Jesus as somebody who's not afraid to talk about religion or politics. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking specifically at the last week of ministry that Jesus has in the city of Jerusalem. We've seen Jesus triumphantly enter the temple or enter Jerusalem. We've seen him go and overturn tables in the temple. We've seen him spar with the Pharisees and the scribes. We've seen a woman anoint him with costly perfume. We've seen Jesus sit down with his disciples for a last supper. And then finally, we've seen Jesus die a horrific death on the cross and then be placed in a tomb. And now we come to Easter morning. And this ending to the Gospel of Mark, it, well, it, uh, it kind of leaves us hanging, doesn't it? And it especially feels that way because usually on Easter morning, if you show up to one of these services, they don't read Mark. Instead, they like to read Matthew, where the risen Christ gives them the Great Commission. Or maybe Luke, where two disciples on the road to Emmaus encounter the risen Christ. And we especially love John, where Mary encounters Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener until he says her name, Mary. Oh, that'll preach. But Mark, why did I choose this? We don't encounter the risen Christ at all. It's an odd ending. And there are some scholars who argue that this wasn't the original ending to Mark. That maybe part of the scroll fell off. And there are some in the early church who really didn't like this ending. If you turn there in your Bible, you'll see other verses that are in these brackets. And in the most reliable and the earliest manuscripts that we have of Mark, that ending is not there. In fact, in that ending, you can read about how the early disciples handled snakes 
That's where people get snake handling come from. So next week at First Baptist Church, um, this morning though, I want to walk with you through this odd ending to the Gospel of Mark. I know it's odd, and I know it feels weird, but I think it ends this way on purpose. I think there are three things that Mark wants us to know about the resurrection. First, death does not have the last word. Sin does not have the last word. And the story is not over. So first, death does not have the last word. Let's read part of this again. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. Mark first tells us that this story takes place at sunrise. You might remember that during the crucifixion, darkness envelops the whole land. Well, now the darkness of crucifixion is giving away to the piercing morning light. It reminds me of the psalm that Gerald read for us earlier. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We then read that there is a group of women who are going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Jesus died on a Friday evening right at the start of Sabbath. It was against Jewish law to anoint a body for burial during the Sabbath. So Jesus was quickly placed in a tomb and then some women were going to come and anoint him after the Sabbath was over. Which would have been sunrise on Sunday morning. Now, one of the things that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark is that women have played a prominent role in the ministry of Jesus. Remember, it was a woman who in Mark chapter 14 broke a bottle of expensive perfume and poured it on Jesus because she knew what he was about to do. And at the cross... None of the disciples are there. They have abandoned Jesus. The only people who know Jesus, who are witnesses to his crucifixion, are a group of women. In all four gospel accounts, it is women who are the first to encounter the risen Christ. It is women who are the first people in the world to tell people about the resurrection Sometimes uh, that might be something that I think some of our sisters and brothers in other denominations should remember when they try to declare who is and who is not called to Christian ministry. What is there other than telling people about the risen Christ that qualifies someone to be a pastor? As these women approach the tomb, they suddenly remember, hold on a minute, how are we supposed to roll this massive stone away? 
It seems to me that might have been a question to figure out before you left that morning, but that's just me. They approach the tomb, and they see that the stone is rolled away. Mark tells us that specifically they look up and see the stone rolled away. And in the Gospel of Mark, one of the themes that we've seen is that the idea of seeing is always a metaphor for understanding, truly understanding who Jesus is. So in Mark, when they see the stone rolled away, they're able to more fully understand just who this Jesus is. <coughs> they run to the tomb and they step inside and there's a young man in there in a white robe and he is sitting on the very bench where Jesus' body had just been laid. The other Gospels tell us that this being is an angel. The Hebrew word for angel means messenger. So either way, this person is giving us the message of what has happened here. And the message is this. Jesus Christ, who was crucified, is not here. He's risen. He is risen. Because in the resurrection, death does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Though Jesus was crucified, killed in the most horrible kind of capital punishment you can imagine, defeated by the largest empire in the history of the world, though the powers of darkness and death sought to overcome him, he is not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. St. John Chrysostom lived in the 300s and once preached a powerful sermon on an Easter morning. The sermon is called the Pascal Homily. Our sisters and brothers who worship in the Eastern Orthodox churches read this sermon every year on Easter morning. Here's part of what St. John Chrysostom said about Easter morning. Let no one fear death, for the death of our Savior has set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. He destroyed hell when he descended into it. He put it into an uproar, even as it tasted of his flesh. Isaiah foretold this when he said, You, O hell, have been troubled by encountering him below. Hell was in an uproar because it was done away with. It was in an uproar because it is mocked. It was in an uproar, for it is destroyed. It is in an uproar, for it is annihilated. It is in an uproar, for now made captive. Hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen, and you, O oh death, are annihilated. Christ is risen, and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life is liberated. The first message of the resurrection is that death does not have the last word. The second message is that sin does not have the last word. Picking up in verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, 
that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. When the young man in the white robe says this, my translation says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. But in the Greek, a better translation is, go tell his disciples, especially Peter. Especially Peter. Peter, the disciple whose heart is often bigger than his brain. Peter. The disciple who swore that he would not deny Jesus and then in just a few minutes after that denied him three times. Go and tell his disciples, especially Peter. Can you hear the grace in those words? There's no grudge being held here. There's no record of wrongs here. Jesus knows exactly what Peter has done, and yet Jesus has this messenger single Peter out for the word of the resurrection. I like to imagine my own name there. Because God knows all of the terrible things that Tyler thinks. God knows all of the sinful things that Tyler does, both by what he has done and what he has failed to do. But still, that word of resurrection hope is for me. Go and tell his disciples, especially Tyler, especially Gerald, especially Margie especially Finley, especially Jessica. I hope you know that because of the resurrection, sin does not have the last word. Through the power of Christ, we are no longer slaves to our sins, sisters and brothers. I hope you know that because of the grace of Jesus Christ, all of the mistakes that you've made in your life, all of the hurt that you've caused yourself and others, all of the things that you'd wish you'd never said, all of the things that you'd wish you'd never done, all of that is not held against you if you cement your identity in the grace of the risen in Christ Jesus. Because of the resurrection, our brokenness, our mistakes, our sin does not have the last word. Finally, the story is not over. The final verse of the Gospel of Mark. So they went out and fled from the tomb For terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. What an odd ending. And it gets even more odd if you read it in the Greek. The Greek ends with a a preposition. It says something like, the women said nothing because they were afraid for... For what? Afraid that... Nobody would believe them? Afraid that they would get hurt? What are they so afraid of? It leaves on an awkward note. A few years ago, I read a story about a seminary student who, as her final project for her New Testament class, wanted to 
performed the Gospel of Mark on an off-Broadway stage. And she actually ended up getting about two weeks worth of shows at a small theater in New York City. So people showed up, they bought tickets, she recited the entire Gospel of Mark, and when she got to the end, she said, for the women went away, went away because they were afraid and told no one. Then she let a beat pass, and then she would say, let us pray. And she would end with a prayer. One of her professors came to one of the first performances and said, you can't end that way. You're buttoning this up for people. You're making it too easy. It's supposed to end with awkwardness. So, on the next performance, she ended, the women went away and told no one because they were afraid. And then she just walked off the stage. And the audience looked around like, wait, what? That's the end? We like our stories to have endings. But I think this is on purpose. I think Mark is trying to teach us something here. I don't think this story is meant to have an ending. Think back all the way to the first verse of Mark's gospel where he says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark doesn't call his gospel the story of Jesus. He doesn't say this is a neatly wrapped up tale of Jesus. He says that the story that he's about to tell us is only the beginning. C.S. Lewis has a famous series of novels called The Chronicles of Narnia. The last one is called The Last Battle. Here is how C.S. Lewis ends the last book of this fantasy series. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that had begun to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is only the beginning of the great story. The resurrection is not the end of the gospel. It is where the gospel begins. Listen, this week we were all shocked to see images of Notre Dame Cathedral burning in Paris. Our hearts were hurting. I was watching live coverage of this as that great spire collapsed into the sanctuary. It was tragic. But a friend of mine wrote an insightful post on Facebook. And what you have to know about this person is they are both French and an art historian. 
They said this. Yes, Notre Dame is burning, but this is okay. It has happened before. It will happen again. It has been lost before. It will be lost again. Yes, this is terrible, and I'm mourning, and I'm gutted, and I'm horrified, and upset, and miserable, but it's not over. This is not the end of Notre Dame. When Victor Hugo wrote his novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, he wrote it because the great cathedral was in disrepair and was on the verge of collapsing in on itself. The novel reinvigorated the world's love for the great cathedral and it was renovated. And that was less than 200 years ago. Yes, Notre Dame is burning. But this is not the end of the story, not by a long shot. The resurrection is God saying that death does not have the last word, that sin does not have the last word. And friends, this story isn't over, not by a long shot. The ending of the Gospel of Mark leaves us hanging. It leaves us asking the question, how could these women leave and say nothing? How could they learn about the resurrection and say nothing? To which, I like to imagine Mark looking up at us and saying, good question. How can somebody know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and say nothing? You don't like the end of the Gospel of Mark? Well, maybe that's because you and I are supposed to finish the story. He is risen. Let's pray. God, we ask that as we celebrate and reflect upon this resurrection, that you help us to remember the words of hope that exist within it. That death does not have the last word of the story. That sin does not have the last word of the story. And because of your grace, this story is far from over. This is just the beginning. Help us to be people of resurrection hope as we go. Help us to be people who say to the world that because Jesus Christ lives, we can face tomorrow. We ask that you continue to guide and direct us in the name of the crucified and the risen Christ, we pray. Amen.